taking a look at Ecclesiastes, the uh, third chapter. Ecclesiastes, the third chapter. There's a Bible in the pew in front of you, or you might have your iPad or your iPhone. You might have something else. Maybe you've memorized the entire writing there of Solomon in Ecclesiastes. We're going to take this journey, and we've been talking about success and what that looks like. What does success look like? And Solomon, of course, in the writings there in Ecclesiastes gives us some idea. Now, I know that there are not as many of you here uh, in uh, this room that were in the first service, but, but how many of you remember a group called The Birds during the Beatles fame and popular? You remember The Birds? Raise your hand, The Birds. How many have never heard of The Birds at all? That's right, good group there. But The Birds had a number one hit in the mid-60s, and uh, it was acknowledged by being written by Peter Seeger. Peter Seeger, of course, I don't believe that really he wrote it. I, I believe someone else wrote it. But it was in the top 100. And buddy, uh, Coach, do you remember that? The birds and remember, you'll remember this song maybe. Uh, but during that particular time in the mid-60s, it was in the top 100. And then no one even thought got in the top 50. Then not only the top 50, the top 40, then the top 20, and then the top 10. And finally, the song made it to number one in the nation, around the world, in America, the number one song, and it was called Turn, Turn, Turn. And this is what it looked like by the birds. When America made that the number one song, very few Americans knew that it came right out of Ecclesiastes, the third chapter. No one knew that. I suppose if culture would have known that it came right out of the Bible, they probably wouldn't have made it number one, but it became number one. And so Peter Zinger, he said he wrote it. I say Solomon wrote it first out of the book of Ecclesiastes. So here we have it in Ecclesiastes, the second chapter, verse number one. Here's what it says. There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under heaven. Pause a moment. There is a time for everything. A time. Now, I believe that. I don't believe that there are any accidents that relates to the plan and the will of God. I believe if we follow God, the footsteps of a righteous person are ordered of the Lord. And so he says, there is a time for everything, and then there's a season for every activity under heaven. So it puts our life in perspective and causes us to understand that your life is not an accident, that the things that might happen around you is certainly not a surprise to God. Now, what Solomon is trying to get us to understand, that life is not okay one year after another. 
It's not the drudgery, okay, I celebrated my 49th birthday, and now I've celebrated the 50th birthday. We know that life is not predictable. We know that it certainly is not controllable. It just happens. But Solomon says in the plan and in the will of God, life does not just happen, and it's not just a string of days. He said it is a string of seasons. Those of you who are here today in the football, your collegiate career, this is a season, a season of education, a season of playing ball. You desire, many of you would desire, well, when this collegiate season is over, I'd like to go on to the next season of playing pro ball. And that, that may be the goal for some of you. Well, I know what seasons are like. For example, I've been married 50 years to the same woman. We have three adult children, and of course, we have uh, nine grandchildren and one great-grandchild. And I know what it means to have children, have grandchildren, and what, a, what kind of a season you're going through. I, I saw a woman the other day, and I heard her say this, I've got four kids under 10 years of age. I thought, I know what season you're in. You want to kill them all sometime. That's the season you're in. I know some of you, I get the invitation to weddings, and some of you, you plan your daughter is going to get married this season. I know what season you're in. It's a season you don't have any money because she's going to cost you more than you can ever imagine. You're going to go down in a season and buy a gown that's going to cost you $1,000 to $5,000. You're going to give out reception opportunities. You're going to spend money. You're going to spend money you thought you never had, and you have no choice. That's the season that you're in right now. Here's another season. I know that when I hear somebody says, well, we had to call hospice in. Well, I know what season you're in. It means that someone that you know, love, and care about is about to die. Hospice has come in to make that passage from this life into the other life as comfortable as you can. Solomon is saying this. I want you to pay attention. I want you to learn to discern what season you're in. He says, there is a season and a time for everything. But here's why this message is important to us. Unless you're paying attention, you pass through a season and don't have an opportunity to discern and recognize what season you're in until it's over. That's why people often say, oh, I wish I could go back. You know why often people say that? I didn't recognize the season that I was in, and it got by me before I knew it. I'd like to go back and do some things that might be a bit different. Solomon also writes in Ecclesiastes 3, there is a time to mourn, and there is a time to die. Here at Victory Church, there's always somebody mourning, always a loved one that's went on to heaven, always someone that was in a serious car accident. Always individuals that are saying today we're facing a broken marriage. Always individuals say, I have a broken heart. And I've watched many of those individuals, regardless of their mourning or whatever the case. By the way, if you ever, you ever watch uh, any of the Hallmark movies, you'll see many seasons of mourning. Always happens, you hear me say it, two-hour movie starts at 2, at 3.30 the morning will start. Because there's a breakup. Somebody's heart's broken. But there is a time to dance because in the last three minutes of the movie, they finally get the kiss that they really wanted. Many times they get this close and somebody interrupts 
and it just ramps up the excitement. But if you are as smart as I am, you know the kiss is going to be received before the movie's over. Somebody say amen. amen. Oh, Lord. A time to dance. You just heard you're pregnant. And you've been trying to get pregnant for a long time. That's a time to dance. It's a time to dance when your daughter comes home and says, Hey, he asked me to marry him if you like the guy. <laughs> it's a time to dance. Or, Wow, wow, this is amazing. We won the game last night. That opponent was supposed to beat the living daylights out of us. We beat them by 20 points. There is a time to dance. Help me out, some of you. How many of you know how to dance? Uh, how many of you don't? You look like an idiot on the dance floor. May I see your hand? That's right. Just don't know how to dance. How many of you, I mean, are, you ever see some of these people that dance and go, I'm saying, what kind of dance is that? That's just wobbling around, you know? Somebody get out there and go. You see what I'm saying? I'm going to work up a sweat. It's always better on a hard floor than a carpeted floor. So he says there's a time to dance. Now, I don't want any of you old line Pentecostals to send me one email, okay? You said it's all right to dance. I'm telling you what Solomon said. Hello? And then I'm telling you this, some of you do you a little good to loosen up a little bit. Page three. Taylor and Brock's came over to the house the other night with Tim and Kelly. That's my son and daughter and, and granddaughter and her husband. And they're our great-grandson, Colby. There's a time, Solomon says, to, to get rid of some stuff. Not about I, uh, when I get in the get rid mood, it's like, if I don't need it now, it's hitting the garbage. I cleaned the garage out two years ago. I can still get my car in there. Sharon gets her car. I get my motorcycle in there. Got a few other things around, but I, I thought it was getting a little messy. I called a truck up and I began to throw things away. I mean, I thought, look at that. Why did I ever need that? It's gone. I mean, good stuff. It just clutters it up. See, the only problem I had six months later, I needed most of the stuff that I threw away. <laughs> but when they were over to the house the other night, Colby was there. He's, what, four years of age? Is that close enough? Four years of age. And Sharon went upstairs and got some toys and came back with one little melodious box. And Taylor's there. Taylor's 25 years of age. She said, oh, look at that, Colby. She said, I played with that when I was little, your age. I played with that. Can you imagine if I got in a throwaway mood and I went up to where Sharon has all that stuff and I began to throw it away, I'd be in a sleeper season for a long, long time <laughs> by the time she found. But there are times that we need to say, Solomon says, you need to get rid of some stuff. It's not, well, I don't want any of you men whose marriage is in trouble to leave here today say so he told me to get rid of you. That'd be a big mistake. It's not what I'm talking about. He said, there's a time to be silent and a time to speak. Just some good practical lessons. Time to be silent. In other words, do you know today that communication is about all-time low? We have so many gadgets in our ears that we listen to 
Uh, we, we, it's hard to hear when we have so, many social, so much social media. We have all kinds of things, Snapchat, Twitter, Tweeter. We have Facebook, Instagram, all of that. Somebody get your attention. How many notice people do that while they're driving? May I see your hand? That's right. They're on their cell phone. You just laid yours down. And you look at that and you say, how does God speak to us? How does he do that when we're so cluttered? How does he communicate? So here's what Solomon is saying. There may be a time that you need to think about the season that you're in regarding some of that stuff and give God an opportunity to speak to you. I read the story of a man. He said, hey, it was my lifeline. If I lost my cell phone, he said, what started it all? I did lose it. I lost for a couple hours. He said, I about went nuts. But he said, that ended up frantic and just was uh, unbelievable in my behavior. And he said, then the thought hit me. I'm going to lay it down for 30 days. He said, the first three days when I laid down all my social media, he said, my fingers would just move and there'd be nothing in there. I thought, I need to be doing something with my fingers. But after three days, he said, I got to the place that all the time I spent on my social media, I now can read a book. I now can read the Bible. I can sit in silence and listen to what God has to say. He said it was awfully tempting through the, through the process of the 30 days, but he said, I learned a valuable lesson. And that is, I don't want my life so cluttered and so busy that I don't have time to listen to God. Just listen to him. And then Solomon says, there's a time to speak up, not just a time to be silent. If you see your friend about to do something that's destructive, if you see your friend that's about to do something that's not pleasing to God, here's what Solomon's saying. Be a friend enough to say to them, hey, that's going to destroy you. You keep that up. You think nobody knows, but that, that really is going to hurt you. I read a story of an individual. He uh, had been with the company a number of years. The owner of the company had an office right there. And the owner of the company came up with a great creative idea. That creative idea was marginal as it relates to being uh, integral. And so after a couple of weeks of prayer, he went in and talked to the owner. He said, man, that's a great idea, that creative idea. But he said, I, I don't know if you've looked at it from a Christian standpoint, a moral standpoint, but he said, boy, I've been bothered by that. And that is marginal as it relates to integrity. And you've had an integral company this whole time and done things right and everything above board. But this is going to be very, very questionable. He said, the boss looked at him and said, okay, is that it? Thanks for your opinion. And he said, he left. But a week later, he called me in. He said, you know what? What you said piqued my interest. What you said to me caused me to look back and say, is this going to be a moment of the lack of integrity? And he said, the more I viewed it from what you said, I've chosen not to do it. I want my company to be a company of integrity. Solomon is saying that's what we have to do from time to time that we need to just speak up and be heard as it relates for those particular organizations and those circumstances. So don't let your friends run off the deep end and you just sit by and say, I'm not their judge. I'm not, I'm not a law enforcement officer. There may be times God pricks your heart and says, hey, you need to just pay, pay close attention. And then Solomon says, you also need to know the season that you're in. He said, your life doesn't need to spin out of control. You need to know what's going on in your own life. And he said, and don't count, don't look at your life by age. If you want to know how old you are, pull your license out and look at that nasty looking picture of you on the license. And you'll determine what your date of birth is from your license. But he said, don't look at your life as it relates to an age. 
Look at your life as it relates to a season. And know what season you're in. What is he trying to say? He's trying to say, if you're a 65-year-old man, quit trying to look like a young jock by the way you comb your hair and by the way you dress. Look your age the best you can be. Anybody out there? Hello? In other words, at 65, you shouldn't be wearing your drawers down to here. I'm not even going to the women now. He said, know the season that you're in. In other words, don't get out there and say, okay, I've reached this stage in my life. I'm going to go out there and run 50 miles. And I'm going to do it in a day's time. And you know you've got heart problems. Give it up. Get your heart fixed, etc." He said, know the season that you're in and understand it. And he says, it's extremely important. Many individuals who have hit stages of loneliness and anxiety. You go through seasons in which you're bothered a little more with anxiety. You're bothered a little more with stress. You reach that stage, say, in mid-50s or whatever the case, and you begin to look and you begin to say, well, I haven't been able to accomplish everything on my bucket list. As a matter of fact, I don't even know where I put the bucket. You may look at your life and say, well, a lot of the dreams that I had, I thought I'd be better off financially than I am now. I'm going to be working until I'm 80 years of age in order to even have anything in retirement. And when that happens, here's what happens. You hit a moment of anxiety. You hit a period of depression. You hit a stage in which you say, wow, I'm in a season right now that I need to be extremely, extremely careful. And when that happens, depression and discouragement and loneliness comes in. And often people will react in a couple of different ways. Number one, they medicate themselves. That is medication. I want to take medication for this, medication for that. And medication to some happens to be, you know, 20 glasses of wine every day or a full bottle of 100 proof uh, alcohol or drugs or things of that nature. Say, I solved the problem that way. No, what you did is you create more problems for yourself and those who look up to you and walk behind you than you could ever imagine. That's not how to deal with that season. Or you can say, okay, I haven't, I haven't done what I thought I would do. I've not reached that stage where I thought I would be. But Lord willing, I'm going to make the best of what I have. I'm going to make the best of what I can. I'm going to give it everything I've got in this season of my life. I may not have reached my goals, but here it is. It's not because I'm not going to keep trying. I'm going to keep at it and stay with it by the grace of God. Now, unless you're a sailor, you won't recognize this name, Dennis Connor. How many's ever heard of Dennis Connor? Dennis Connor, so, so we're almost 100%. Nobody knows him. Turn to your neighbor and say, who is he? Then turn back to your neighbor and say, Pastor's about to tell us. Here we go. He's going to tell you. Dennis Connor was probably the most world-renowned individual as it relates to racing sailboats in the history of the world. He won 29 world championships for America, different sorts of sailboats. He won the America's Cup four times, sailing, called America's Cup, sailing four times, for America. He had season after season of great success, great benefits, great opportunity. It was there. But in 1983, 
He lost the America's Cup for the very first time after 132 years of successive victories. 132 years America had won, but he lost. In 1983, he lost the cup to Australia. It broke him, took away the fame. The press was mean to him. People who you once used to bless him began to bless him out. And he said, I reached a place of despondency, a place of anxiety, and a place of self-doubt. I thought, I'm no good if I can't win. If I can't win the America's Cup and protect it, I lost it after all these years. And he said, I felt the temptations almost grabbing me by the throat and in a way of throat punching me to the degree I thought, wow, I'll never win again. I'll never sell again. But he did not allow that. He realized that season in his life was not one to lay down and quit, not to lay down and give up, not to cave in to the pressure of failure. But he said, I am a winner. I have won before and I'm going to win again. I'm going to find out what I did wrong. I'm going to make the adjustments. And when the World Cup comes around again, I'm going to be in the winner's circle. And so it is. In 1987, he came back and retrieved that cup for the United States of America and took it away from Australia. Why? Because he chose to make a decision to say, I know who I am. I'm not a loser. I'm a winner. And I'm going to play to that. Let me encourage you, friend. All of us can cloak ourselves with failure and give up, but only those who rise up in Jesus' names are the one that overcomes by a large majority and accomplish what God's will is for our life. Job said it this way, though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. And so let me pause for a moment. Whatever it is, that gnawing at you, that failure mentality, that broken marriage, that angry situation, that displeasure in your life. He says, I want you to understand, though he slay me, those things that come against you often are authored by the enemy. Don't listen to those who don't like you. Don't expect everybody to like you. Wake up every day and say, I know, heads up, there are some people that don't like me and look in that mirror and say, by the grace of God, I like me, God, you like me, and there are enough other people who do like me. I'm going to walk as a winner because I believe I have purpose in my life. Don't cave to those who do not like you. But then let me say, tell you something about leadership. If you're leading and you take the authority and the initiative to lead anything, you're automatically going to face some people who will be jealous and not like you. But lead on, my friend. Lead on. We understand that he came back and won the cup. Job said, though he slay me, the one that I pray to every day that I presented my family to, though he slay me, though life is unkind to me, though the press is mean to me, Though we had a loss in the situation, yet will I trust in Almighty God. Because I know at the end of the day, the one person I'm going to answer to is my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul said, I'm tired of the thorn that I have in my flesh. 
I'm tired of putting up with it day after day after day. I'm just tired of being tired. And God speaks to him in a whisper, 2 Corinthians 12, verse number 9, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made strong in your weakness. What's he saying? Hey, know what season you're in. There is no season that God permits you to go through that's there to destroy you. There is no season that you're going to go through that God wants to hang you out as an embarrassment. Through every season of your life, we can learn something from Almighty God. What season are you in now? And what are you learning? What are you learning? What season are you in? We raised three kids. We have nine grandkids. There are times I know that I told my kids. I didn't ask them very often, would you like to go wash the dishes? I didn't ask Tim when he got big enough to mow the lawns at six years of age. I didn't say, would you like to mow the lawns? said, son, you might as well learn early. Get on out there and get it done. And here's what I know. I wasn't crazy enough to think that everything that I asked them to do, that they did. That they did it with their whole heart. Have you ever done something because you can't get away with not doing it, but you really don't want to do it? Anybody out there? How many of you men are men? You've ever done something your wife asked you to do, but your heart wasn't in it, but you knew you better do it anyway. Go ahead and get your hand up. Be a man. Lay it out there. That's right. Here's what he says. I know what season I'm in. And then, God, what is it you want me to learn? In other words, what I'm saying, you can do things in your Christian walk. Because you know, okay, well, that's what's expected, and that's what I have to do. But you know what's better than that? Heavenly Father, not my will to take that cup. It's not my desire to hang on the cross. But it's not my will. It's your will. And if it's your will... I'll go to the cross and I'll stay there. Some seasons are just that way that you make the commitment to stick with it. You make a commitment to be bold about it and learning exactly what season that you're in. How many of you have ever heard of this individual? Individual Ken Blanchard. Anybody heard of Ken Blanchard? I mean, have you ever heard of the book, The One-Minute Manager? Okay. I'm going to get 100% before it's over. How <laughs> I many has ever heard of Chevrolet? <laughs> good. How I many has ever heard of the B-I-B-L-E, the Bible? It's good. How many has ever heard... It's about lunchtime. <laughs> oh, well, all the hands went up. The one-minute manager, 
by Ken Blanchard sold 20 million copies. Now, Coach, if you've got a book and it sells a million copies, you can pat yourself on the back. Because very few books that are authored by individuals sell a million copies. Ken Blanchard was an unbelieving individual. Church, God, Christianity, none of that mattered to him. But he wrote the book, The One-Minute Manager. It took off 1 million, 5 million, 10 million, 20 million. And through that great moment of success, he began to look and say, I'm not that smart. I'm not that good a writer. I don't know how this put together. And he began to reflect in his success, the season of his success. How did that happen? And he began to take thought because he'd been told by someone in his life, hey man, all good and perfect things come from God. You need to honor God. Christianity, Jesus is real. Ken Blanchard went on a two-year search and out the Bible and began to discover, began to talk to people until that moment came. He thought, wow, what a fool I've been. The success I've enjoyed, I cannot explain it. There must be only one way. Someone loves me more than I could ever imagine. And Ken Blanchard gave his heart to Jesus Christ and today is absolutely solid in his faith to propagate the gospel of Jesus Christ, but it started in a season of success. And then there are two words that Solomon shared, and he said, move on. Turn to your neighbor and say, move on. Move on. Moving on up. You ever heard that song? Uh-huh. It's all, the, all I know of it. <laughs> Bless you. He says, move on. Why is that important? Sometimes some people's rotten attitude was created because they got hurt and got bitter and could never get to the place that they were not nursing a bitterness and a pain of some circumstance that happened in relationships. And they sat there and have sat there for many, many years. Always blaming somebody else. And it may be true. May be justified that you were hurt. And they meant to hurt you. Solomon is saying, how long are you going to let that dominate your life? Other individuals say, the church hurt me. The preacher said something I didn't like. I'm supposed to say things that you don't like from time to time. If I didn't do that, I'd have a bunch of thumb-sucking individuals out there afraid to move on up to a little meat. But this is one of those moments. You need to quit blaming. You need to look in the mirror and say, you know what? I've lived with bitterness. I've lived with anxiety. I've lived with hurt. I've got to where I think everybody's a hypocrite. I have a warped sense of humor. And it's time you faced you and listened to Solomon and say, let God through the Holy Spirit heal you right now and move on to greener pastures. Amen. Amen.
And then I don't want you to leave here today and go in some circumstance in a relationship that you have. Well, I heard what the preacher said. I know we've been having all kind of marital problems, and I, I heard move on. I really think it's time for me to move on. Come and talk to me before you do. Stand true to the cause of Christ. That Ecclesiastes says this, Ecclesiastes 3.11, God has set eternity in the hearts of men and women. Set eternity. You know what that means? We've told in the Scripture, okay, you're going to have about 70 years. Some people don't make that. Some people exceed that. But 70 years. And it says in that Scripture that God has placed in the heart of every person a sense of eternity. That one day, life is going to be over. One day, all the accolades are going to cease. One day, you're not going to be able to get your own cup of coffee. One day, you're going to be able to not hear as well. One day, you're going to need somebody else to give you a bath. One day, you're going to get to that place that there's not a cash flow income coming in. You've got to watch your pennies a little closer. He said, in every person is that spirit knowing one day life's going to end. And he said, for you understand that. That's the end of Ecclesiastes. You understand that. And you behave in a way as it relates to success. No matter what happens, you can't get your coffee or take your own bath. But always remember, here's one thing that's treasures beyond anything you can imagine is to have a group of people around you who loved you when you're healthy and loved you when you could write them a check, but they love you now when you're not as well and you can't contribute because they're committed to who you are. Live your life with that kind of sense. And then also, he said, there are those that keep putting God off. Another day, I think I'll move on. I wish that preacher would shut up. And here's what he's saying. That sense of eternity is in you. And this is what Paul writes as it relates to Scripture in Romans 10, 13. Whoever calls on the name of God will be saved or redeemed. Amen. Call on the name of the Lord. Amen. So I suppose as we just bring it down and land the plane for the first attempt, we need to know who we are in Jesus. And if we're not right with God, some people in their life, they make a commitment to the church and make a commitment to God, and they've done it many times in the last four to six months. And then you don't see them, and then they're not reading their Bible, and then they're not praying, and then they're not witnessing, and they're back in that same old rut. You know what Solomon is saying to you? Realize the season you're in and do something about it. And so if God is speaking to you about a particular area of your life, let him speak to you by the Holy Spirit. Yes. Let him have that one-on-one -on -one situation. You see, I believe that God is omnipresent. I believe he's everywhere. I believe you can talk to him anytime you want to, as if he's seated in the chair across from you or in the pew beside you. What Solomon tried to say, there's a time to mourn. There's a time to dance. There's a time to laugh. There's a time to cry. But there is a time that you learn to pay attention to your Creator Amen. and say, I'm all in, Jesus. Amen. Would you give the Lord a clap offering? Would you stand to your feet?
Could you stand, please? Let's bow our heads. As our heads are bowed and we talk to those of you in this room and we talk to those of you who are listening in by the hundreds online right now or on our webpage, on our Facebook, you've joined us. This message is for you, my friend. Maybe you're there at home right now and your life has been in shambles and you've been hurt. And maybe the reason that you are at home is you just didn't feel like getting up and getting ready because your heart's broken. You've been bruised. Or maybe you physically just cannot make it and you, you find out, wow, the world's passing me by. This is a moment in which God can redeem you and touch you and strengthen you. And maybe you're in this room and you're listening. You say, you know what? That hit me right between the eyes in this area. At this season in my life, this is where I'm at. I've been following the wrong goal and I need to reevaluate. I need to keep my focus, number one, on Jesus. And when you do that, you can have all the things that God has in store for you. You can be a winner, not only a winner on the outside, but a winner of integrity on the inside. You can actually become the person in your quiet moments, in your prayer time of who you'd like to be. And that person can be the same person manifested on the outside as what you see in your private moment. You can see the person you say, I want to be a strong spiritual giant. Well, that can become what people see in you if you make your mind up to live as it relates to a vertical relationship, you and God. It's here. So to make that happen and to give us all an opportunity to do everything right, I'm going to ask all of us, even at home, listening in some area around the world, to repeat this prayer with me. Would you do it, please? Dear Lord Jesus, Dear Lord Jesus forgive, me. forgive me. I have failed. I've made a mess. I made a mess. And I find myself, I find myself in, need. in need. I confess my sins. I confess my sins. And I believe by faith, believe by faith. There, is a work there is a work that you need to do in me. So I open my heart. I open my mind. And I give you my life. So use it. As you, as you choose. Don't let me be haughty. Don't let me be, Don't let me be filled with pride. Filled with Allow, pride. Me Allow me to be humble and to do your divine will. Your divine so, will. Here so here I am. In Jesus' name. In Jesus name. Amen. 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 Isn't God good? You see, the yard talk to that would be, ain't God good? Listen, friend. You're created for God's purpose. You're created for God's will. The lion that is out there, the roaring lion, the enemy, to seek, to kill, and destroy, shake loose of that. Let God immerse you today. So if you need prayer, you need prayer in your marriage, in your business, you need prayer for a problem you're facing, in a relationship, now is the moment. As we sing this song, and then I'll give the benediction to slip into this altar and say, I'm going to man up. I'm going to woman up. I'm going to young person up. I'm going to come to Jesus and let God do a work in me. So here I am, God. Would you do that right now? Or you need prayer? Come now as we sing. Here we go. You're never gonna let me 
Before I give the benediction, if you haven't been obedient to God, that's no small thing. For the King of the universe to speak to your heart through the power of his whisper is a monumental thing. I just want to encourage you, before you leave this room, be obedient to God now. And the minute that you do, you'll find a chain will break and God will give you a victory that you really, really need for your future. All right? I want to wait one more minute. Anybody else need to come? Anybody else? Balcony? Everybody okay? Back there? Everybody okay? God bless you. Anybody else? Here we go. Heavenly Father, this Holy Spirit of yours that's in us is not going to leave. It's going to stay with us. Your voice is going to continue to convict us. You're going to continue to give us wisdom and guidance and anointing. We commit to you because we do not know how to live life successfully without you. We will get in trouble. We will make destructive mistakes that will harm us, harm our families and those that are around us. God, I pray that you would bless every family, every business, every person. I pray by the divine unction of the Holy Spirit that, God, you would awaken in us a desire to be more aggressive in our relationship with you than we have ever been. And let our behavior be manifested of what we really would like for it to be in the private moment of our life. And we give you praise in Christ's name. Amen. Be sure you smile at somebody as you leave today. God bless you, everybody.